0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder, editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. This is podcast episode 215. For those of you in the United States, a uh, happy Thanksgiving. Joining us from Poland uh, are Paul Maslowski and Bart Ochessa, uh, head brewer Bart and managing director Paul of uh, Pinta. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Welcome. Hi Jamie. Thank you. Nice to be here. And I guess you are Brower Pinta, not Brewery Pinta, right? Yeah, Brower. yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to struggle through my pronunciations through this, and I'm going to count on you all to help me and help every American brewer making some of these beers uh, pronounce everything correctly so that we can get this all (laughs) correct. Um, It's early for me. It's a little later in the afternoon for you all, and uh, we are going to talk about brewing everything from Baltic Porter to Groats, barrel projects, because you all have engaged in brewing a lot of uh, spirits, barrel-aged beers, imperial stouts, barley wines, etc. And, I mean, heck, you guys are making some pretty compelling, hazy, contemporary American-style, New England-style uh, IPAs. Uh, we can even talk a little bit about that because what a beautiful – Broad world of beer we live in now, where breweries everywhere are being inspired by each other and it's moving in these multiple directions. Before we do that, for nearly 30 years, GD Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. GD stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free. G&D stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Content the total glycol system design experts today at gdchillers.com. Also, support for this episode comes from BSG Craft Brewing, announcing a cool new product offering, T45 Lupulin Enriched Hop Pellets. More efficient than T90's, T45 hop pellets contain a higher concentration of aromatic oils and bittering resins with a reduced level of polyphenols and plant material. This means a big, delicious hop flavor, with fewer pounds per barrel, creating a more cost-efficient and sustainable beer production thanks to reduced wart losses. Supplies are limited. Secure your order today at go.bsgcraft.com T-45. So Bart and Paul. Welcome to the podcast. You'll listen to the podcast, and uh, we've had uh, over the last year, year and a half, had some great conversations on the on the backside. Um, it has manifested itself in our June July issue of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. You talked to us about brewing a hoppy Baltic Porter, such a fantastic, curious, interesting way to take a traditional style from where you are in Poland and add a contemporary modern twist on it. Um, love that you all are pushing interesting boundaries in that world of brewing within a very uh, traditionally minded brewing area. Um, talk to me about that history of uh, a Pinta and uh, how you all both got into brewing. Okay, so maybe I'll start. Uh, and uh... This is Paul Paul speaking yes. so that people can follow yeah. at home.
1: So the uh, Brother Pinta um, was launched 10 years ago. Uh, firstly, as a contract uh, brewery, and it is said to be the first uh, craft brewery here in Poland. Uh, it is, f- It was f- the first to brew and uh, hop forward uh, IPA. So it's like, it's it a date that started the craft beer revolution in Poland. And since that, uh, we grew, uh, we opened our own facility two years ago, and yeah, we are still uh, growing and brewing more and more uh, beers. Yeah, so um, it's barbecue
2: here now. Uh, so I ended up in Pinta about uh, three years ago. Uh, before that, uh, I was working a little bit in uh, New Zealand. My background is uh, finance, so completely something uh, different. But I decided to quit the, the, the huge corporation as a, and, and the work as an accountant. And uh, leave it to pursue my uh, traveling uh, passion. So uh, I was traveling a bit and then started working in, uh, in New Zealand for a couple of breweries. And then uh, actually I got uh, guys from Pinta to 8-Wired Brewing in New Zealand to brew a Baltic Porter together there. And that's how I met with the guys. And they basically proposed me a job when I'll be ready and I'll be back in Poland. So I came back and started working for them in 2018 uh for paul it was a little aerial actually
1: yeah Uh, i'm working in pinta for six or seven years i believe uh so i started uh as a home brewer then i had an internship in a local brewery and this local brewery in my hometown was a brewery that pinta was contracting and after about a year of internship there i started to work for pinta and then we uh we also moved to the second contract brewery and then we uh started uh building up the uh big brewery and i since then i'm with them
0: yeah. how About how many hectoliters per year now does uh, Pinta produce? And I'm going to call it in hectoliters because that's a, a measurement. Oh, yeah. that you we, can, are uh, we are prepared. We are prepared to see. <laughs> so uh, this year we will uh, brew
2: roughly 25,000 hectoliters, which is 21,000 uh, right. uh,
0: barrels per year. Yeah. It's a good-sized brewery, but uh, the idea was you all got started, or as Pinta got started 10 years ago, was to focus on—and I think it's interesting that you define it as craft compared to not craft, that there are still small local breweries, but within Poland, some might consider them, even if they are the size that might be considered craft in the United States, they wouldn't consider themselves craft brewers. How do you all— in Poland, make that distinction.
2: So, if you take a look at the law, uh, the small brewery is anything below two hundred thousand hectoliters. So, we, this is actually a very high limit. Uh, but if you take a look at how actually it looks, it's like we were uh, the first brewery, and we are now the, the biggest craft brewery. And it looks like we are still pushing the limits of what big the craft brewery can be so uh, our goal is not to grow more than fifty thousand a year uh, so that's let's say our limit
1: that's yeah, the limit there's a limit of a brewery we are currently in so the the brew house we have won't be able to brew more than 50 uh, thousand hectoliters yeah, and the sure. distinction the distinction is very vague in Poland. There's no uh, no no such thing as a law, and it says that this brewery is craft or not. It it strictly depends on a uh, uh, products the breweries producing if they are you know uh, if they are true uh, if they are distinct from you know macro breweries. Uh, if they are hop forward or some historical styles, uh, and then the customers consider this brewery
0: a craft brewery. It's more of a cultural you yeah, know, yeah. association of a definition yeah. than it is. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, as the brewery got started 10 years ago, making hop forward beers and making these beers uh, inspired by craft brewers in other parts of the globe. Uh, how How was that taken by local consumers? I think it's an interesting piece bringing styles like this that might feel contemporary or new or current in other places uh, and bringing it to an audience that has a very familiar and long standing relationship with beer and a and a fixed idea of what that might be
2: so i, I think that the uh, most customers back then they were uh, the guys who were uh, home brewing so for for them it was something completely new something that they can try to brew at home and uh you know the guys uh 10 years ago they started to with the with an american ipa which actually caused the hop attack uh but then they started to make all of these different styles of beers like uh, Schwarzbier beer or uh, or bock or uh, bitter. bitter or whatever so basically first few years it was just making basically all of the styles that they could uh, so the people can learn about different styles of beers uh, because on the market there was pretty much nothing it was a, a, a desert just a cheap Euro lager and that's it so uh, and obviously they were surprised by the price because it was like three times more expensive than the than the Euro lager but uh, basically till till this day we are sold out with everything so looks like there is a market which is good for us
0: it's a very similar motivation that american homebrewers making beer styles expressed back you know in the 70s 80s and 90s making the things that just weren't available on the market there for them it's it, it's interesting to watch how that same dynamic you know takes place everywhere um, in terms of seeking out inspiration for the beers that uh, pinta brews you know uh, there's uh, of course you know this kind of combination of lesser uh, brewed styles from a european canon of beer there are these you know american and uh, 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 or American-based kinds of styles, like you know hop-forward beers that have that have pushed in that kind of realm. Um, how does Pinta, you know, balance those kinds of influences and and find the inspiration for making th- this broad range, but with a character that feels like Pinta?
2: So at the moment, uh, I think more than seventy-five percent of our beers are actually IPAs. Um, so we definitely hop forward uh, brewery, but we also like to keep uh, with the tradition. So we every every year we make a Baltic porter, we make a grodziskie, we make a rauch beer. Um, but uh, but definitely uh, the the most of it is, is is IPAs, and we definitely take the inspiration from United States, uh, obviously. But we do try to keep in touch with the the old
0: styles. There's a beautiful undercurrent of hops that I you know, I find that drives everything from the I, and I did some I did some research and drank some of the Imperator Baltic you know, uh, bottles last night to kind of dive in um, and was fascinated by them. Let's, Let's talk a little bit about that. But before we do, a brewery might have 99 problems, but your fruit supplier shouldn't be one. Old Orchard is already known for their quality concentrates, but they also pride themselves on consistent product and reliable supply. When brewers need assistance, Old Orchard is just an email, phone call, or even a text away based in Greater Grand Rapids, Michigan, better known as Beer City USA, Old Orchard is core to the brewing community. To join their fruit family, learn more at www.oldorchard.com brewer. Also, are you ready to brew like a pro? Pro Brew has the equipment, systems, and technology to take your brewery production to the next level. Check out www.probrew.com for pro-carb, inline carbonation technology. ProFill Rotary Filling and Seaming Can Fillers, the Alchemator Inline Alcohol Separation System, 7-50 to Barrel Brewhouses, and more. ProBrew offers the craft beer industry innovative solutions to help you brew like a pro. Go to www.probrew.com for more information. Uh, What I love, you know, of course, brewing in Poland, there are other Baltic porters on the market to create a beer that somehow stood out and would somehow merit both attention and, as you mentioned, a price that might be three times more than a consumer was willing to pay for that from another brewery in that kind of market, you have to have a selling point. You know, there has to be a hook to cap. you know, to capture people. Um, and for you, it seems like that hook was hops, um, building, using hop flavor to, uh, you know, in this broader spectrum. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, and obviously you all weren't necessarily involved in the very earliest design of that beer, but you can talk to me about the evolution of how that beer uh, has also kind of come along. Um, But let's talk about the construction of that imperial, uh, you know, Baltic porter and uh, you know, how you all have worked to build a hoppy idea that's both bitter and fruity at the same time, you know, capturing these kinds of hop flavors.
2: Yeah, so with, uh, with Imperator Balticki, it's uh, actually quite similar story as, uh, as with Atak Milo, the, the first IPA. So we wanted to make something different because in Poland, even the, the biggest uh, commercial breweries are, are brewing Baltic porters like on a the, on the regular basis. So uh, first point was to brew something bigger, so we increased the Plato from 18, the, the usual, to 25. And the second point was to use a lot of hops. Um, so the base is, uh, is basically just a, just a regular Baltic Porter just way bigger so lots of uh, munich uh, vienna pilsner malt malt uh, something um, like dark crystal malt and a touch of uh, carafa special too uh, so it's fairly simple um and then uh, just uh, fermentation with w3470 and lots and lots of hops both on the hot side and uh, dry hop
0: yeah yeah um bring a it- big lager like this you know with uh lager yeast obviously poses an interesting challenge there's time involved healthy fermentation is absolutely key to build a a base f- that can support these kinds of flavors how do you make sure that uh you know especially brewing a 25 plato dark lager with uh 3470 that you achieve the kind of outcomes that that you hope for
1: uh, as, by, as Bartek told earlier, we also ha, have a lager in our portfolio as a core beer. So uh, we brew lagers almost all the time. So it's uh, we just finish a smaller beer. It's a Pilsner style Czech Pilsner style beer, and then we crop the slurry and use it for a stronger beer. So we have almost always. Uh, healthy uh, big dosage of uh, yeast to uh, ferment uh, Baltic porters uh, or imperial porters Uh, so that's not a problem for us we also use um, yeast nutrient and then we have uh, uh, two three months of uh, fermentation plus lagering plus dry hopping and we we actually started
2: fairly low temperature so we start around nine celsius and uh, then just you know give it a time uh, to ferment and then just to just to lager so the fermentation wasn't really a problem uh, 25 plato is like doable for those yeast, uh to make it a clean nice fermentation um, so yeah just have a
0: fresh slurry, start low give some nutrients and it'll be fine what does that fermentation dynamic look like in terms of time uh you know how long does it take how much activity do you find initially and then you know does it hit a peak and then slow you know what what does that dynamic look like uh, so uh as bart told
1: we start uh, uh, quite low with temperature eight and a half nine uh, degrees so we uh uh, we dose a lot of yeast slurry, so we have first signs of fermentation about uh, in about 24 hours. What we usually do also is that we don't brew one batch. We uh, knock out two or three batches into one vessel periodically about one day uh, later. So we start with lower amount of uh, beer and then we hit with another portion of uh, fresh wort. Uh, so the yeast have enough time to settle in the environment. And then after about three or four days in a lower tem- tem- temperature, when you know, the activity is, of course, a little bit slower, but it's uh, seen, we start uh, raising up a temperature about one degree uh, Celsius per day. So we stop about in about 15, 14, 15 degrees. And it's a. I think we are finished with fermentation in about ten days. So it's quite a quite a, a healthy fermentation. So it's roughly uh, two plates a day, you say.
0: Is there, uh, you know, in terms of a healthy yeast slurry, do you have a, a goal for uh, cells? You know, no, cell concentration. No,
2: not really. You just you just see how the previous beer was uh,
0: was going. So, yeah. And I, I, as you say, since you're doing sequential brews and stepping, filling that tank, but pitching after that, you know, that first fill. Um, you know you're growing your yeast as you fill that tank and you go along um as as you mash through this are there any techniques that you all are using in order to create a more fermentable wort for this uh for this yeast to work on
1: uh we have a 50 hectoliter brew house uh it's uh, barrels is 42 42 and a half barrels so it's quite big we have a very wide lot at hand so we can fill it uh, fill it up to the top with a mold so we don't do double meshes or something like that with this beer we need to do this uh, f- for a beer of about 30 pl- 30 plus so for 25 only uh, only traditional meshing uh, you know temperature control uh, German style. So, you know, start quite low, then temperature uh, will rise to certain points. Uh, so for this beer, we start in, uh, we mash in about 56 uh, degrees uh, centigrade. Then we have a um, one hour, uh, one hour uh, period uh, in 64. And then we raise the temperature to 72 for 20 minutes and then mash out so uh and when we want to achieve a uh, 25 degrees Plato we just boil it out for about three to four hours so we have a uh, 25 degrees plato wort mm. then we hop it knock it out to the whirlpool and then knock it out to the fermenter i'll be completely honest with you
2: if with that amount of hops and such a big beer if we do a step mash or
0: not it doesn't really matter at all <laughs> <laughs> Fair, fair. Um, having just built this larger production brewery a couple of years ago, you all I think have a what a benefit to knowing the kinds of beers you're making and being able to build a, a system that can handle those. Uh, and it does sound like you've done that, knowing that this is going to be uh, you know a, a piece of what you brew. And now you have also taken a lot of those bigger, uh, you know. Uh, you know, beer brewing strategies and applied that to barrel aged beers, too. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, but I do want to talk about this approach you know, to hops themselves in Baltic Porter um, from a creative standpoint. What how did Pinta find itself drawn to to building an American you know, using these Pacific Northwest American hops? to create a different kind of flavor in Baltic Porter. It is truly a straight, like from an American perspective, looking at a Baltic Porter that uses Citra, Mosaic, Eldorado, Centennial in the, in the mix, it just sounds strange. Um, (laughs) And and yet, and yet as, as I was drinking them, you can Understand it that uh, you know. Oftentimes, these chocolate and citrus and fruity flavors they do work together. They they don't clash. They can be complementary if they're you know used well together. So, uh, talk to me about how you all have honed this flavor idea and built these kinds of complementary uh you know pieces with hop flavor in this uh bigger imperial uh baltic porter
2: yeah i think as, as you mentioned it might sound uh weird but i think it's uh it's like uh you in us are looking for a traditional european style so bringing traditional porters and we have so many traditional baltic porters that we just need to make something different uh so we thought that uh using the hops that are really like you said citrusy orangey zesty uh a touch of tropical fruits it actually pairs really well with with all those chocolate dried fruits uh caramel uh, flavors from the base of the baltic porters so the the idea behind the hops was just to uh Choose the ones that are really citrusy, and just a little bit of uh, tropical fruits at at the end, just to complement the the aromas and 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 the taste from the from the base of the porter.
0: They seem as I was tasting them also to add like a, a, almost a kind of woody, earthy element, you know, in addition to that, which you know, again creates additional layers, um, because the base beer may not be, and there's some of those light caramel flavors through the beer that also help underscore that to me as I was tasting it I mean there's I think you could probably put that beer next to a American black IPA or Cascadian dark ale especially one that's on that higher imperial end of the spectrum Um, and there's a some very uh, big similarity between those they're they're not that far apart in terms of how that those those flavors come through um which makes it really attractive to me because uh, i i miss the the black ipas that american (laughs) brewers have seemed to stop making as of late bring them back um you know having said that there you know Being able to structure that means, you know, finding the right hops characters out of it. How do talk to me about your process of finding the right blend of hops? Um, You all have been producing. You have a new version with Strata and Sabro using, uh, you know, this newer evolution of of hops. Um, How have you gone about? You talk to me about the creative process in thinking about how hops work and building a, a hoppy approach to that, especially newer iterations of it.
2: Yeah. So, uh, the, the, newer iteration from the, from the last year with Strata and Sabro, um, yeah, we wanted to make something different, like, different again, uh, the two years, so three years ago we made a barrel age version. Um, and, uh, last year we wanted to make something with hops again. And, uh, the, the whole, um, uh, New varieties of the hops uh, last year and two years ago is just booming now. So we have so many different uh, new hops to try. And for me, uh, using Sabra and Strata was a pretty obvious choice. Uh, it's a it's a black beer uh, with uh, with lots of uh, caramel, chocolate uh, flavors, and also these these dried fruits. And and Sabra with its uh, coconutty flavor and and Strata with the with the passion fruit. It sounds like a, just like a perfect dessert match so uh so you know for me those those two are the most prominent uh new hops so it was uh quite obvious and i think the the hop profile was just matching perfectly with the with the base again so you know it was it was nice to see and uh, just to release two of them two of the uh, imperator boticky side by side and the only difference was just the dry hop and you even see how they uh, how they change the the base and how they change the body of the beer uh, just by by influencing, you know, all those coconut flavors and and it's it's changing the whole beer. So it it was uh, really really uh, interesting. I think this year we're gonna also think about some nice uh, combination.
0: That's I, I, it's interesting what you just said that it impacts other elements of the beer do you mean that from like a, a you know a texture and mouth feel category or are you or is that also just the way that it highlights other elements you know that the the malt and fermentation might otherwise produce
2: so basically
0: if you if
2: just to just to explain so we make a one batch of of imperator botinsky we use the same hops for the ripple and then we divide it uh in two different tanks and we u- use uh different uh, hops for the for the dry hop so the one with Sabra and strata for me uh the body was way thicker than the regular version i think it was just my conscious and the 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 passion fruit coconut flavors just just work that way but if you drink it drink it in a blind um blind tasting you will say that those two are completely different uh, base beers so i think it's uh it's it's not really uh, changing anything in like chemical physical way it's just your uh, impression uh, because of those aromas is is uh, completely different
0: that's really interesting that it could yeah impact the way that you even think about the texture of, of the beer itself just from that that simple hop change um, as you're dry hopping these beers is there anything to the technique that uh, that you found helps get the, the most out of those hops? So with this one, uh, for all of our, our beers, uh, we are
2: using a dry hopnik. So it's a kind of a, a, a separate uh, pump with a small vessel to inject the hops. Um, and with Imperator Botiski we are uh, actually dry hopping in a really low uh, temperatures after all the yeast drop. And it's a lager. So uh, I think it's uh, you can definitely compared to like a cold IPA kind of way so it's really really clean fermentation and a nice Baltic Porter uh, base and then you have you know all the resources just to just to show the hops Uh, when it's cold it's not uh, we are not keeping hops for too long on the beer so it's basically just like uh, when after you dry hop it's it's one two days and you drop the hops and that's it so Yeah, a short contact, low temperatures.
0: Do you find that uh, compared to dry hopping lower ABV beers that doing this beer, which I think it's, you know, around 10% alcohol by volume and, you know, by our U.S. measure, that uh, it has a different effect as you're dry hopping at that kind of higher alcohol rate? Yeah, definitely. It, it does, uh, uh, d- does have a, a
2: different, um, it, it's, a, it's a completely different way. And also like the base beer is, uh, it's quite big and like malty and there's lots of flavors in the, in the base beer. So the, the hops are working completely different than, than in the IPA or, or black IPA even.
0: Yeah. Water is an important piece of this also in order to kind of achieve the soft feel that you are pushing for. Talk to me a little bit about uh, how you approach water in this beer. Okay. So this is a, Bartek Porter is a multi-beer.
1: So we, as uh, Bartek told, uh, we have a very traditional approach to the uh, malt build to the uh, lagering technique and also to uh, you know um, showing the uh, attributes of you know German hops, po- uh, German malts, uh, Polish malts so we use a, a ratio of about two to one for chlorides you know just to uh, show the maltiness uh, of the beer. Uh, what, what's more we also check the pH especially for these dark and strong beers it can be a little bit too lower and it's you know astringent after a, um, uh, after a while so we all, we always have some chalk on site during the boiling just to you know uh, check the ph in uh, in the range of about 5 uh, 1 5 three. Uh, in the end of boiling so we don't want it to go too low because of the black malts or longer boil this is very very important for a final uh, final um, taste of a beer because of the higher bitterness and the big dry hopping and also uh, a lot of uh, black malts dark calmer malts you don't want this astringent uh, almost sour note to the beer, it, it must be, you know, well balanced with the maltiness and the hops also.
0: Sure, lower pH would would certainly especially with beers that are this hoppy impact the way that the hops themselves express because pH definitely has that yeah. kind of impact. Sure, sure. Um, let's change gears and talk about, uh, you know, some other beer styles. But before we do that, this episode is brought to you by Mountain Rose Herbs purveyors of the highest quality organic herbs, spices, and teas. Whether you want to add depth to your next golden triple with classic notes of cinnamon, pepper, and clove, or artfully layer exotic, zesty grains of paradise into a perfect ale, adding botanicals to your brewing is an easy way to customize a delicious flavor profile. Mountain Rose Herbs has been providing organic herbs and spices to chefs, herbalists, and dedicated brewers for more than three decades. Learn more at mountainroseherbs.com and get 10% off Any and all orders with the code craftbeer 10. Also, as a brewery owner, you know how important it is to keep your machines running so you don't have to deal with the hassle caused by contamination, recalls and downtime. Clarion makes food grade lubricants to protect your equipment from the wear and tear that results in breakdowns that cut into your bottom line. Clarion gives you peace of mind so you can focus on what you do best, pouring out great tasting beverages. Learn more at www.clarionlubricants.com. Uh, another beer that I that you all sent over my way, which I just had the pleasure of drinking uh, as I was recording a couple weeks ago with Stan Hieronymus, is one of his favorite beer styles. Stan, obviously the author of uh, Hops, Brew Like a Monk, and a bunch of other books, uh, wrote a critics list for our best in beer issue. And, uh, gro- pronounce it for me. Grojiske. Grojiske. G- Jis- gro- Jis- yeah. <laughs> gro- I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to... Uh, yeah, this is one of the reasons that we're talking right now, because I can take your pronunciation and commit it to memory, and I will pronounce it correctly from, from now on. <laughs> um, it's clearly one of Stan's favorite styles. It's something that you all have uh, moved, you know, and, and taken and brewed consistently now also. Yeah. Um, Talk to me about taking this style, a.k.a. the Polish champagne, a beer that some American brewers like Live Oak uh, and others have jumped on Chuck and Nut. We've had some great iterations made in the United States. Uh, Yours as Stan and I were drinking both versions, the anniversary version and your regular release version were struck by how... Intense it was. There is a much more intense approach to that flavor than some American brewers might brew that beer with. Um, but but walk me through the the design, the history of this beer, and how you all found an inspiration for how you were going to brew it.
2: So the history is uh, quite interesting because uh, basically for almost twenty years the grodziske was gone. Uh, no one was brewing Grodziskie in Poland. I believe there were some breweries in the United States brewing Grodziskie at that time, but there was no one in Poland. And even before Pinta, uh, two owners of Pinta decided to brew Grodziskie on a contract basis in one of the restaurant breweries. And they brewed uh, 1,600 bottles. And <laughs> it was the first beer before Pinta, uh, which actually uh, you know may, made them to to open Pinta brewery, so it was, it was really, really interesting and since then we are brewing Grodziskie every year, uh, sometimes twice a year. Um, and the, the beer itself,
1: Paul? Yeah, the beer itself is uh, also very tradi- traditional in approach, so uh, we try to stick exactly to what was the parameters of a historic beer, so it's very light. It's only 7.8 Plato. Uh, it's also in alcohol. It's about two and a half per uh, percent volume, and we also use traditional methods of uh, grain bill, mashing, and boiling, and also hop uh, usage. So we use only uh, wheat malt that is uh, smoked with uh, oak. Right. Uh, we use one hundred percent of it. Uh, we only. Where, where do you some, get this malt? Uh, the Weiermann uh, Malting Company is uh, making uh, this uh, malt on a regular basis. Uh, some brewers in Poland just uh, smoke their own malt for a different characteristic characteristics or intensity. Uh, historically, this beer was not; uh, um, it was dried over. Uh, Oaked smoke, not uh, malted, like so it was lower in intensity, but we have available uh, wheat smoke malt, so we use it it's a one hundred percent of a gra- uh, grain bill, and apart from that we, mm, we use Polish hops uh, in this case, we use uh, Lubelski variety it's an aromatic uh, aromatic hop uh, of about five uh, percent alpha acids. So and we use quite a lot of it, uh just to hit about twenty-five IBUs, uh, for the beer. So for this low and this dry
0: beer, the bitterness is quite firm. Sure, for a two and a half percent ABV beer to have a mm-hmm. twenty five IBU, it's uh Yeah, you can you can feel it definitely. Right. Especially with that much smoke component on top of it. Um you know are there other methods that you will use to kind of balance out that bitterness and smokiness
2: so i think the, the one of the most important things uh is carbonation so it it needs to be really high uh basically we are going as high as we can with our uh technology here but uh back in uh, back in the days uh, it was refermented in a bottle and it was even more carbonated than we can do now so that's that's where the name comes from the the polish champagne it, it should be really really uh refreshing and really high,
0: with high carbonation um, what uh, in terms of volumes what is what's your goal for carbonation at the moment it's around
2: 2.6 2.7 but it can but be but historically even, it
1: was higher yeah for sure this yeah. is our top weekend can uh, pour with a uh, bottling line.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to think about carbonation as as such an ingredient in the beer and balancing out, um, you know, but also that much carbonation. Produces, you know, there it creates. I mean, carbonic acid is an acid, and that also becomes a flavor component of the beer. You know, again, as I start thinking about this, it seems like there are so many things that could go wrong between the the phenolic smoke component. You know, between the high bitterness level, between this, this kind of, you know, the carb- high amount of carbonic acid now in the beer through this high carbonation. You know, uh, how again do you build some sort of like you know soft buffering element to to uh, you know make this or is there something to that malt itself that just uh lends you know uh you know some some sort of sweeter edge or softer edge to it
1: yeah i uh, i think from what you described it should be very unbalanced beer but uh, <laughs> in fact it's very refreshing and i think balanced and you know smoky bitter and you know highly carbonated doesn't seem to be very uh, very refreshing product, but I think the 100% usage of wheat malt is uh, something that uh, gives this beer, you know, like a velvety texture, pillowy texture. And, you know, it's, it's also bready and tasty. And it, it, the co- it, this is the component that makes you have another sip of a beer. So it, it's always a malty, a bready beverage and I think this is very interesting in this beer I think that uh,
2: also the the malts uh, they need to be really fresh or freshly smoked uh, we've tried so many different uh, um, smoked malts and not all of them are that intensive so we are fortunate enough to have Weiermann uh, close by right um, yeah so uh, the Weiermann uh, wheat uh, smoked malts Pretty awesome, uh, so that's a, definitely a, a really important thing, but also the meshing and a and a clean clean fermentation uh, as usual pretty much
0: yeah, as you're brewing it, are there any challenges that you uh you know routinely find yourselves having to overcome through that production process, or are there any you know small pieces that you've learned that help make it more successful?
1: I think it's um both for a homebrew and a commercial brewer. Uh, brewing, uh, having... a um, It's an ale, so we use our AIN yeast uh, strain. And this is, this is a very low uh, ABV beer. So the fermentation for us is very, very fast. So after about two days, we are done with it. So uh, the most challenging part for us is uh, to have this high... Car- because we have a naturally carbonated beer. So it's, uh, to find the point where you should close the valve and naturally carbonate the beer. And this is a very short uh, short period when you can close it because the fermentation goes so fast. So this, this may be a challenging for a commercial. For a homebrew, uh, you know, you can use, uh, you can use uh, carbonation in a bottle and it's not, not, not that big a uh, problem.
0: Uh, that is interesting. I hadn't thought about that. But as you're spunding a tank, that, uh, you know, in a two and a half percent beer, there's there's a very <laughs> small window for that. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> who who comes in overnight to make sure that happens at the right time? <laughs> <laughs> we always have someone here,
1: so it's, it's not to check
0: there. the beer. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, you know so you and as we tasted the beers uh you know as, as stan and i were tasting the beers uh, there was an interesting difference between the anniversary edition that you know you brewed and the kind of regular edition talk to me about uh, the the kind of uh, you know ways that you've built some variety in uh, in groc itself and so what i I'm, I'm, in, I'm interested what, what was the difference actually because i mean
2: there was a year apart the bottling, so and they it's the, same, it's
0: the same same recipe, other than that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, you know, as I tasted it, it felt um, more. The anniversary edition felt like it had a uh, more definition. That it was a little, I wouldn't call it maybe a touch like more crisp, um, but it had a the a more defined edge in that flavor, whereas the more the younger version felt like it was maybe just a touch fruitier and, uh, you know, and more broad and, and uh, maybe a little bit more, um, expansive. And so, yeah, I, that's, I mean, that's, that's really interesting because, uh, it's basically the same
2: beer with the same recipe is they, they're just a year apart. Uh, but as you can see, like, even if it's such a small, tiny beer, the smokiness can age really well. So it's like with with bigger beers. It's just uh, they're just changing uh, in time, and even after a year, it's still like drinkable. And even as, as you said, even even better after a year. So the the base recipe was exactly the same. It's just one year difference.
0: We also had an older uh, edition from another brewery. I won't name any names, and it uh, had not held up as well as yours oh. had over that past <laughs> year. Um, so there's there's something to that, and, and it, but it also started as a less smoky beer, and for whatever reason, wherever they are sourcing that, uh, you know, oak smoked wheat malt, um, different source, you know, different expression in the beer. Um, you know, everyone brewing these in the United States is having to, you know, figure out where to get those. The Live Oak folks get theirs from uh, from Europe and bring it in. Uh, I'm not sure where, uh, you know, Chuckanut or Dovetail or some of these others that are brewing theirs are getting theirs, uh, you know, but... Nonetheless, all of those different sources of are, of malt are going to create a different kind of expression and uh, and maybe p- produce a different level of, of smoke expression in a beer, given that that's all you can brew with. Um, it is an interesting one. As people think about smoked beer in the United States, they think 100% smoked malt, and they think that's crazy. Why would you ever do that? But the but the impression of smoke as, as you, we drink it doesn't work, I think, in a linear fashion that— uh, you know, the difference between 10 or 20 percent smoked mold and, you know, 50 or 80 percent, it's it's not just a, you know, a linear step up. It, there's a point at which, you know, I think that smoke character pretty much hits a saturation. And then, you know, even if you're adding more, it's not like it necessarily gets perceived as, quote unquote, more more smoky. Um, you know, as you all have brewed with it, how do you find that that works in, in different percentages of smoked malt. Obviously, it's always going to be 100% in this beer, but, uh, you know, as as you work with it, um, do you have, you know, do you think about it in those kinds of terms?
1: Yeah, I I think that we must remember that this is a pretty, uh, uh, it's a small table beer, so it's only uh, 7.8 Plato, so you don't use a lot in terms of uh, pounds or kilograms, you don't use a lot of uh, malt to achieve only seven Plato beer. So when we are thinking about a Rauch Doppelbox of Bamberg, so uh, there, there is a difference when you use, for uh, for example, 500 kilos and one ton and 500 kilos. So for sure, more phenolic compounds would go to the beer. So for a Grodziske, when you use a very small amount of uh, of this wheat smoked malt, um, it's, not, it's not that intense comparing to Rauch lagers of Bamberg or I don't know uh, smoked porters from America. It's it's a different it's a different beer because it's a, you know very very small in ABV.
0: That makes sense. Yeah.
2: But again, I I think the, the quality of the molds is uh, really important because we, we had a smoked porters that we brewed with 40% of smoked mold and it wasn't smoky at all. And then we did a similar one with the different, uh, different molds, different, different company, and it was super smoky. So the, the quality of the molds is one of the most important things here.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, as we're getting on here, I want to make sure that we can talk about some of the uh, progressive projects. You all have also just launched uh, uh, Pinta Barrel, uh, a kind of barrel-focused Brewery to to make uh, spirit barrel aged beers. Talk to me about this program. Uh, um, Some of the beers that you sent our way were uh, some fantastic collaborations with uh, some very hip brewers here in the United States. And so clearly, you are drawing some inspiration and also you know kind of following this pathway that some American barrel aged brewers are following. Um, Talk to me about finding that inspiration and building some beers that feel like Pinta, but that also can play in this barrel aged stout and barley wine realm.
2: Yeah, so um, uh, Pinta Barrel is a is a new project. Uh, we started it actually two years ago. Uh, we've opened a crowdfunding uh, campaign, so all the funds we actually got from the people to build the brewery, and it's a separate building, uh, separate installation. Uh, it's a, it's in the same kind of place, but still the separate separate building, separate companies, but same people. Um, and uh, and this brewery is. Uh, It's focused 100% on barrel aged uh, beers. It's a a tiny installation, only 10 hectoliters, So it's roughly eight barrels, I would say, Uh, maybe nine. Uh, Just a few fermenters. um, But but the most important thing is uh, two separate warehouses, one for the wild fermentation and one for the clean fermentation with a separate um, air control, temperature control, humidity, etc. Um, and in in the, each one of them, we can fit around 300 barrels. Um, so at the moment, we are actually just starting to put the new barrels on. Uh, I hope we're going to start brewing next month, maybe even a little earlier. Um, and the plan is to release uh, roughly 15 to 20 beers uh, a year, uh, like you mentioned. Some of them with the, in a collaboration with uh with the really uh, well known uh breweries and yeah that's that's the plan, so we'll see how it goes.
0: Is there a market for barrel, spirit barrel aged stouts and barley wines in Europe, or is this just something that you are helping to and hoping to create I think there is a market it's a small market, but there is a market and uh, um and when, when I say of... that it wasn't like there was some market for it in the United States when brewers started doing this in the nineteen nineties and then mid two thousands no one even knew what those were going to be and they just started making them and they caught on and so um it doesn't it's not as if there has to be a pre-existing market yeah. you know that is interesting that the you can there are i'm sure some some beer geeks out there who uh, like some of these things and have had small amounts of these but but again in that history of craft beer just may not have ready access to them that you might be able to provide
2: yeah, so the whole uh, barrel aging thing in Poland started around 5 years ago. So since then it, the market grew. And also in Europe there's a there's a lot of breweries uh having a separate barrel aged uh projects like Mikeller um, or Tuol. or there's a lot of barrel aging with uh in Pohyla brewery. So uh there's quite a few breweries uh making barrel aged beers and also Belgium is really close by. Uh so our wild part will be uh lambic inspired uh part so I think in Europe there's uh there there won't be any problem with finding uh people willing to buy uh those beers you can see it on the festivals it's people are going just for the barrelage stuff (laughs) and and the IPAs and sours go after those so yeah yeah, I think I I think there is a market and and the brewery the the barrel project is it's 10 times smaller than the than the big brewery so it's, it's kind of like a, a small toy just for fun. So, you know.
0: <laughs> one of the keys, though, is is finding a voice, you know, for those beers um, on the clean side of barrel aged beers. How where have you found, you know, a way to make those barrel aged beers feel like Penta? Into- beers. You know, talk to me about some of that creative process and how you have formulated an idea for those so that they don't just feel like everybody else's beers, they're going to feel like Pinta beers. Yeah. so at the beginning, uh,
2: when we made our first barrel aged beer as Pinta, it was some years ago, uh, most of the breweries in Poland, and same as as we did, it was just a a beer that we normally release to the market, uh, a base beer, and we put it into the barrel and see what happens. We don't really blend, we don't do anything with it. We just buy the barrels and, and, you know, keep the fingers crossed. It's going to be fine. So it was like that for a long, long time. Uh, but with this project, we wanted to, let's say go professional with it. So we want to have a big stock and we want to have, a, the, the blending part as a main part of the process. So I think I, I can't answer you at the moment. What is the, the thing. What is the pinta thing in those beers? Because we haven't blended that many beers yet. But I hope there will be a thing. Um and I think that the inspiration that's coming from, from US and also from this uh collaboration that we brew with the guys from US, uh it's a it's a big thing. So the the clean part is mainly inspired by US and the wild part is inspired by uh by Belgium, of course. And we also have some collaboration with the with the Belgian brewery. So for me, this is, this is the beginning of the learning process, how to brew those beers, how to blend those beers, uh, where to source the barrels, uh, you know, how to make the recipes for the barrel aged beers, not just for the beers. So I think it's, uh, it's a very, very beginning of, of the process. Hopefully we can, we can
0: see in, a, in a, a few months or a few years how it's going to go. Sure, sure. Well, let's zoom out here at the end and talk about the big picture. What uh, what is the big picture goal for Pinta? And, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that 50,000 hectoliters or you know, 50,000 bros about the that top end of where you'd like to go. Um, what uh, what's then? what are the next things that are getting Pinta excited about brewing, and uh, obviously, I think the barrel program is going to be one of those. But, but uh, you know, what's in the, the near term, and uh, what is the bigger long term goal for the brewery? So, I think the long term in terms of
2: production is those fifty thousand hectoliters, as you said. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, when we grew to fifty thousand hectoliters, I think we're going to grow like more horizontally, as you as you say. Um, and the, the next few months, maybe a few years, we are we having plans to build a huge distribution center uh, just close by uh, and also our tap room here at the brewery. So we want to make it a place where people can actually come and spend a day or, or half a day. And it's in between the mountains in the middle of nowhere, so it will be great to make people Come here for a beer. Uh, it's not that obvious in Poland. There's actually no breweries with tap rooms. Uh, so it will be a really great success for us if we, we make a place where the people will, will come and, and drink our beer by the brewery.
0: Oh, fantastic, I may just have to come and visit. That seems like a great place to close. G&D Chillers will engineer your glycol piping for free. Try T45 hops from BSG. Craft juice concentrates from Old Orchard to the cost-effective solution. For your fruit forward needs. Pro Brew offers innovative solutions to the brewing community. Get 10% off your next order from Mountain Rose Herbs with code craftbeer 10 and make your system 100% food safe with Clarion lubricants. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to beerandbrewing.com. Click on that subscribe button. We bring you great brewing content from folks like Pinta. And in fact, if you would like a homebrew skilled recipe of their Baltic Porter recipe, go to that June, July 2021 issue of Craft Beer and Brewing. It is free for, well, it's included with your subscription, but only subscribers can read that that recipe. Um, Paul and Bart, thank you all for joining me on the podcast. If people want to learn more about Pinta, where do they find you all?
1: Mm, we have a website uh, and also a very active facebook page so everything is there every new beer is introduced and also some uh, other information about our crew and our uh, current beers
2: to facebook at uh, Pinta and instagram on pinta.craft.beer yeah that's the place
0: Cool. Well, thanks for sharing your beers and thanks for sharing your, uh, your insights on brewing with our audience. Cheers. Thanks, Jamie. It was a pleasure. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. For those that love to make and drink great beer, learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Brew.